Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Sim. Hey, Sonia. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I heard from a little birdie that it's going to start snowing soon in Toronto. Correct. Well, it's supposed to be. People keep telling me things and they don't end up being right. So we'll see what actually happens. It's taken a long time to even hit the cooler temperatures. Like today it's raining, but it's like 12 degrees, which I think is warm. 12 degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit? Yeah, Celsius. And apparently, like, this never happens. It's usually way cooler in November, but we'll see. We'll see. Just global warming things, I guess. I know. Guys, for those that, like, might not understand our obsession, we didn't grow up with snow, first of all. And we definitely didn't have, like, cold Christmases or cold, like, end of years because it was summer in New Zealand. Are you excited for, like, the white Christmas, the whole, like, I don't know, eggnog in front of a fireplace? Like, is that you? See, our understanding of a white Christmas, a traditional white Christmas, like with families, is just from movies. Because <laughs> we're at the beach. <laughs> we're having a barbecue with like family for Christmas time. I'm really excited. We went past like Saks Fifth Avenue, which is like a huge department store, and they already have like their Christmas windows up and it's like the Nutcracker and Santa's Little Helpers. And there is like one really popular Christmas mart that already has like their countdown to Christmas and their lights up. So we're going to check that out this weekend. I'm stoked. Like, I'm so excited. I might not be this excited in January, February when it's like super, super cold. So we'll check back in then. (laughs) Before we get into the show, a huge thank you to HSBC for powering this week's episode. Nine in 10 women are ready to grow their wealth in the next 12 months, yet only 33% are confident in their ability to make investment decisions. We are so proud to be partnering with HSBC as they pave the way for financial well-being and diversity, which aligns with our mission of empowering women. An integral part of HSBC's mission is to empower and support each customer with their unique wealth needs, whenever and wherever they are. So whether you're at the very beginning of your wealth creation phase and taking your first steps in investing, or you're starting to think about passing your wealth and values to the next generation, HSBC can connect you to global opportunities at every stage of your wealth journey. Jump into the link in the description to find out more. All right, back to the show. Well, this week, Sonia, I think we're going to be talking about something maybe not as fun and festive, but the idea of having jewelry as an investment, because we Mm -hmm. have talked about a lot of different kinds of investment commodities, investment styles. We've talked about, hey, here's shares, here's crypto, this is forex trading, this is day trading, this is real estate investing, but we've never actually done a like jewelry 101 investing episode. And I think people don't realize that you can sometimes make some decent money off jewelry. And I don't think people realize that even JP Morgan was a very well-known gem collector during his lifetime. A lot of celebrities also, when it comes to taking the wealth that they made, you know, in the first sort of decade of their career, because celebrities and athletes have very interesting careers where they make a lot of money and then they 
don't have the career to make money, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, so they have to invest it to then live off it. A lot of them, yes, they go into business and they go into general investing and they go into real estate, but a lot of them fall into investing in jewelry as well. And for good reason. Over the past decade, jewelry assets have outstripped New York real estate, have outstripped gold and US equities, so the S&P 500, and this was according to the Knight Frank's Luxury Investment Index. Also, a couple of years ago, in 2017, there was a piece of jewellery called the CTF Pink Star, which was a 59.6 carat, it was basically like a pink diamond that was really expensive, and it became the world's most expensive gem sold in Hong Kong, and it was bought for $71.2 million, a 59.6 diamond. I have just googled it and it is beautiful. Can you describe it for the listeners at home? (laughs) I'm not going to be able to describe it well and anyone that's super into jewelry is going to be like, Sonia, what are you saying? She looks expensive. Like I 100% believe that they bought this pink star (laughs) for $71.2 million. The best way I could describe it is it looks like the pink panther diamond and it's like the size of a golf ball and you wear it on your finger. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what? It's so big that it almost looks fake. Right. So if you're walking around in public, like, can you imagine walking around like a mall with this thing? (laughs) Just like a West City mall with like this diamond. I just feel like people wouldn't even attempt to steal it because it just looks so fake. It looks like a ring pop and you'd just be like, oh, that's cute. Like, good for her. You're still like enjoying candy at the you know fine age of 35. Congrats. Not realizing that that is $71.2 million worth of ring pop. I'm looking at it. I've looked at it so long that now I think it's ugly. <laughs> is that a thing? I feel like I feel that way when I look at my photos of myself. <laughs> Anyways, let's get straight into what you can invest in when it comes to jewelry, because maybe not all of us are into diamonds, not maybe all of us have $71.2 million, but there are a few things to avoid and a few things that you can get the best returns on. And we have done the research so that you know exactly what to look out for. Now, when it comes to jewelry, and we've included gold in this because you know, there are precious gems, but there's also precious metals. Gold is the most common precious metal and probably the most liquid of precious metals where you are able to come along and buy it and see a return maybe slightly faster or stronger than things like silver or copper. One thing that really surprised me though is that diamonds aren't always the best investment because they can really differ in value so for example things like color consumer taste what people think and what other people are willing to pay makes them extremely difficult to invest in and if you have ever gone down the rabbit hole of trying to understand diamonds you'll have heard of the four c's which is how you value a diamond so there's carrot clarity color and cut and those are all gonna again depend very wildly on if you are getting a diamond that you pay a thousand dollars for and it can turn into two thousand dollars or if you buy a diamond that's worth three thousand dollars but all the factors didn't line up and you can't actually sell it for more than what you buy for so you might be thinking okay what kind of diamonds or what kind of gems are worth buying 
Would you be able to guess, Sonia? Do you know what? When you say that, I just think of like birthstones. You are absolutely right. So it's the colored stones that are the better kinds of investments to go for. Throw the diamond out the window. We are looking at sapphires. We are looking at rubies. We are looking at emeralds. Basically any rare white or colored diamonds or colored gemstones, especially if they're from historic mines, end up being the most precious. So there's three to know. One is the Kashmir Sapphire, the Burmese Rubies, and the Colombian Emeralds. These retain their value the best. Now, I cannot say that these stones have come from the most ethical sources, and I think we'll get into that later as to how to check which ones, you know, are things that line up with your ethics, but these three are the ones that are the most well-known and they retain their value the best. In fact, Kashmir sapphires were up 970% in 10 years. Burmese rubies were up 1,100% in 10 years and Colombian emeralds were up 1,900% in the last 10 years. So you've got an idea of like which diamonds or gemstones to like look into. You've got to then look into it a little bit deeper because that's not enough clearly. Then you start looking at collections and the best investments are your unique one-offs or limited editions. Any jewelry that has some sort of rarity associated to it does well, which just makes me laugh because it is the exact same with clothing. It is the exact same with fine art. Anything that's like limited edition, rare collection, as human psychology exists, anything rare, we're just like, I'd pay for that. I'd pay double. Yeah. Do you know what? Everything that you've said has made sense. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I also was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day and they're going ring shopping with their partner and they've just noticed that the jewelers are bringing a lot more colored stones and engagement rings to show them. And they went to like a fair few and I was just thinking like a few years ago just even having like a colored stone on your engagement ring was like I just I would never see it and now even on social media and like celebrities getting engaged there's like emerald cuts and like rubies and even people obsessing over like Princess Diana's like blue ring that Kate Middleton wears it's very interesting. Oh my God, you're right. I just realized a lot of people are getting a lot more colors. And if we think about it now, it makes sense because God forbid something ever happens and you don't end up together. Now these like gems that are colored are going to be worth more when you resell them. So I think this is great for how they look, but also great for our future finances. Now, you can even get into it a little bit further when it comes to deciding good jewelry to invest in. And certain periods in history are known to have good jewelry. It's kind of like when you look at buying homes and there's that like one uncle that's like definitely buy any house that was made in like 1980 to 1990. Those are like the most solid homes, like they go up in value more. It's the exact same with jewelry. So certain periods of jewelry are better than others. Anything from the 1920s to the 1930s is probably seen as the most sought after in the market when it comes to jewelry. So these are like deco pieces and it gets into the idea that you do actually have to start asking questions when you start looking at jewelry, like where were the stones actually from? When did this piece come about? And then you can start to decide, well, okay, this might be worth maybe more than the other equivalent that wasn't made in that same time frame. 
Now, you might be thinking, okay, Sim, starting to make sense, but how much money do I actually get from jewelry? Well, it really gets tricky, and I hate saying that because I wish I like giving definite answers like you make 10% of your money back, but it's just, it's tricky when it comes to jewelry. But the one thing I can say is when you sell jewelry secondhand or you buy jewelry from someone that they've already purchased it from the store and 10 years have gone by, you're only buying it or selling it for the breakup value of the stone and the metal in the setting. So it's not, oh, I'm buying this as a ring and therefore it's more expensive versus like the same stone in a necklace. It's just what's the stone worth if we like, you know, melted the metal and just had the stones. And what is the metal in the setting worth? Things like platinum and white gold tend to be a little bit more expensive than, say, other forms of precious metals. So once you break that down, you can get a valuation. Sometimes insurance companies can give you valuations if you want, like, a somewhat unbiased answer. But often just, you know, the experts in the industry are the ones that they're going to bring out their magnifiers, they're going to have a good look, and they're going to be able to tell you what you can sell it for question for you hit me how attainable are these precious stones precious jewelry pieces for like the average person like do you think it's easier for someone to invest in the stock market or is it easier for them to invest in jewelry it's definitely a lot more accessible to invest in the stock market for example the Kashmir sapphire like if you bought that as a ring you're probably looking at a minimum of like five thousand dollars worth of course like other diamonds around it of course the cost of the metal itself it just ends up being something that's not as easy to obtain which is why the price is so high if anyone could have it and if it was easy for the everyday person to purchase it then those that collect it would go oh and you know I think that goes back to human psychology as soon as something is accessible and not rare anymore the value of it drops so for someone sitting at home and going I want to make a lot of money fair enough but I you know, don't know if I can access these precious jewels. You don't necessarily have to, and you can absolutely invest just in the share market and make a decent return and not have the stress of one, physically owning this object, having to get insurance on it, having to clean it. Oh my goodness. Oh, the burden. Right. You don't have to clean your shares. And that is a pro. I think for me, when I think of jewelry and when I think of jewelry as an investment, I really just tie it back to culture. It is hugely popular in India. No matter what part of India or I guess South Asia you're from, gold as an investment is seen as the norm. That is traditionally what, you know, our parents, our grandparents, our families invest in. And it's interesting to me because I think growing up in New Zealand and even now when I have conversations with friends who aren't Indian they don't really see gold as worth it or they think of it as like a dead investment which is really interesting to me because it's cultural which is why it means a lot to me like a lot of the pieces that I'll get passed down has been in my family for a very long time I'll wear it on my wedding day and I'll pass it down if I ever have kids And I did some digging Mm -hmm. and I found that a lot of central banks are currently buying gold and central banks like across the world, they actually list gold as their like class A category, which is like the highest class of investment. And I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking of gold blocks and (laughs) just like 
you know, gold reserves. But I just feel like if that doesn't solidify gold as an investment, like the central bank rating it as like a class A category of investment, who are you to tell me that gold isn't worth it? Do you know what I mean? Who's told you gold isn't worth it? I'm not going to call them out. Do it on air. Girls, that fire. No, I'm not going to call them <laughs> out. But I will say this. It's not like one or two people. It's like five to six people. They should listen to the episode. They really should listen to the episode. Like, I think when you think of gold, I'm not t- like gold jewelry. I'm not talking about your like Shein gold plated knockoffs for like a dollar that you buy like in packs. Gold jewelry in India, it is... It takes hours being at like the jewelry store and like weighing gold and like talking to the salesperson and asking all those questions just like you would with the rubies and the sapphires and the other like investment pieces. Like it's a whole process and what people will do is they'll often like buy a little at a time and then it like stacks up if that makes sense. And I just feel like it's such a good safety net. It's a good way to diversify your investments. If you like headed into an emergency, there will be people out there that are willing to buy gold off you and you can sell like maybe a solid gold necklace that's maybe like 22 carat because we look at carats, we look at weight in gold for a decent amount of money. And yeah, I just think our parents are doing something right, you know? 100%. Now, Sonia, people are probably wondering, okay, you've convinced me, I'm interested, what do I do next? So a few tips for you to find the best jewelry pieces. First of all, do a little bit of research around jewelers in your area. If you're traveling, especially if you're traveling like back to India, have your family help you out in terms of what is the reputation of this place. They will usually have, I guess, like jewelry ratings as well in terms of how legit they are. And I think a question you need to be asking yourself is, does this piece of jewelry align with my ethics as well? Because where it's sourced from is going to tell you a lot about like the value of it as well we could do a whole episode on it as well but there is a whole issue going around in terms of how people are sourcing like their diamonds and their jewelry and if the miners that are getting the stones like if they're being paid correctly if they have safe working conditions if they have the appropriate like equipment to go out and get these like stones and jewelry so I think just a question of ethics you'll need to do a deep dive on for yourself and yeah once you've done those two things I feel like you can go from there I will say this though in terms of like wrapping up my thoughts around jewelry as an investment I think certain people kind of brush it off as like no you shouldn't do that you should do just invest in the stock market or just invest in property. The thing with diversifying your investments is it's like a beautiful thing to have jewelry, to have invest in the stock market and to like maybe dabble in property as well. It really ensures that you've got a versatile portfolio. And yeah, I think for me and jewelry and the pieces that I'll inherit, they have a lot of sentimental value. So it's not just I'm getting this and in case of an emergency, I can have it as an investment for the future. I just think it's a really cute thing to like pass down to your children or like different family members rather than just like a stock portfolio, you know? 
That's true. I guess there's more sentimentalness to it. Now, one of the questions that people keep asking us, especially if you've done a little bit of research into jewelry yourself and you've noticed that, you know, people wear like the Cartier love bracelets or the Van Cleef and our pals, you know, the ones with the little cloves on them. People often ask, is that something that I should buy that then goes up in value or should I, you know, invest somewhere else? And the truth is, it depends. If you get the basic Cartier love bracelet, which is, by the way, already like $5,000, it's not that that love bracelet is going to go up in value and you will make a sale. Most of the time when it comes to brands like Cartier and Van Cleef, if you get the most basic models or basic versions, you're only getting like 80 or 90% of its resale value. So for the Cartier jewelry, it usually holds a resale value of around like 89%, whereas Van Cleef and R. Powell's, which is often considered one of Cartier's like competitors, has only a 74% resale value. When you start looking at their limited editions, that's where you start making the money. Or if you look at their higher purchase items, that's where you go, okay, I've paid $10,000 for it, but I can sell it for $12,000 later down the track. But their everyday jewelry, you don't get your money back. You just don't lose as much money when you resell it. And that's a good distinction to have. Now, the final thing that I want to cover is where do you go to invest secondhand jewelry? Because clearly, you know, if you want to buy jewelry firsthand, you go to the jewelers, you go to Van Cleef's or Cartier, if you find dealers that do things privately. But when it comes to the secondhand market, you can find a couple of different ways to do this. One are auction houses. You've also got investment exchanges like the Singapore Diamond Investment Exchange, which was the world's first commodity exchange, where rather than exchanging money, you're actually exchanging diamonds. So that was quite interesting when they started that. And there's, of course, ETFs. Now, Sonia, I want to know your final thoughts on this. Do you think that you could see yourself investing in jewelry? And if so, what would be the kind of jewelry that you'd go for? I do see myself investing in jewelry. I think at the moment, gold, just because it's easier than the others in terms of research and in terms of attainability. But in saying that, like I've never really been a high-end jewelry girl. Like the bracelets and the rings, even like certain watches. Like I have a vision board, but none of those things are like on my vision board. So you don't have a Rolex on your vision board? No, I don't. I don't even have like (laughs) Van Cleef or like Cartier jewelry, you know? And I feel like a lot of my friends like have those as something that they want and like they feel like they've accomplished a goal once they've like gotten that piece of jewelry. I just don't feel the same way about jewelry. So if I was to invest, it would be in gold and it would be for like cultural reasons, you know? That's interesting. I think when it comes to jewelry, I feel like there's two groups of people. Like there's one group of people that are just like, there's no emotional attachment. They are buying it to invest it. They are buying it for inflation to a hedge against that. They're buying it as like a security. And then I think there's the other group of people who buy it one in like hopes that they can pass it down to their family. And it's got like a definitely a more emotional connection to it. And I used to be in the former category where I was like, I'm just investing in jewelry for the sake of investing in jewelry. Like I'm not into as much I also lose things so easily so it brought me a lot of anxiety like the fact that I could own something that costs so much but now I've started to fall into the idea of like 
this is an investment that I can also wear and use and I am absolutely the friend that can like go okay I've reached this milestone this is so exciting now I'm going to celebrate with like a small piece of jewelry that I can wear and it just makes me so happy to look at it and go oh yeah that's that time I like reached that goal it's so cool but then when you have such an emotional connection you're not always making the best investment decisions and so when I learned that Van Cleef and our pals, you know, when I was about to buy it, I did some research and found that it doesn't actually go up in investments. It kind of holds their value, but not as strongly. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not buying this to make money. I'm clearly buying this to like hold on to and pass down. But I feel like that's probably a good place to wrap up. Now, when it comes to jewelry, I guess what we want to know is what to invest in. We want to understand the aspects of how you can find the best pieces, the jewelry ratings, the reputation, understanding if it's ethically sourced and what that means for you, and also knowing where to invest and what holds value. I guess when it comes to jewelry, the last thing I want is for people to feel like it's something they have to buy. But if you're thinking of diversifying your portfolio and you may have a little bit of extra cash to do so, whether it's through an ETF, whether it's through physically holding gold, whether you have stacks of gold bars in your safe at home, there's a few different ways you can go about it. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, if you want to learn more, follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on Instagram, tag us. It's the best way to get the podcast out there. We appreciate all of your support and we will see you next week. Until next time, Sonia. Until next time, Sim. Bye. Bye. Before we go, thank you again to HSBC for not only powering this episode, but for the rest of the season. Don't forget to check out the link in the description to find out more. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence.